Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. So hello everyone. This is uh, Carlos for another episode of the e-commerce growth show. Today we have Chase Clymer from Electric Eye, an e-commerce agency. Scott, um, if you can introduce him, introduce yourself, and then we, we, we get at it. Right. Um, so hello, everyone, and uh, welcome uh, to another episode uh, of the e-commerce growth show USA. Uh, we are uh, excited to have Chase Clymer join us uh, uh, for the show today, and uh, my partner, uh, uh, Carlos, and myself, uh, I uh, look forward to learning about uh, uh, Chase's journey in e-commerce and, uh, uh, you know, the things he's been up to. So, uh, uh, Chase, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Great. So, you know, I, when I was poking around, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, to learn a little more about you before uh, the interview, uh, you know, you know, obviously, uh, you know, what you're doing today is uh, you are running uh, Electric Eye, uh, you know, which is an agency, uh, you know, that helps uh, brands uh, 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 with e-commerce. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, you also have a very successful podcast, uh, uh, The Honest E-Commerce Show, uh, which, uh, you know, we are, you know, Carlos and I, I'd say, would be jealous of in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of success that you've had with that. And, you know, we hope to replicate that uh, over time here uh, at the E-Commerce Growth Show, to be quite frank. Uh, you were recognized by Shopify uh, as being one of the top uh, uh, podcasts, uh, you know, for folks that were interested uh, in e-commerce and, and the Shopify platform, for instance. Um, and, uh, you know, I see that you've done some work in nonprofit and charity. Uh, you know, I was reading about the Brightside Foundation, which is a, a foundation uh, about mental health awareness. Uh, are, are you still active with that? Um, actually, during the pandemic, we had to shut that down only because everyone that was involved in it moved or had a kid and then I couldn't run it by myself. But uh, when we did have it running, we had basically a monthly event and we donated, I want to say 30 or $40,000 over the life cycle of that nonprofit to local charities here in Columbus, Ohio. Nice. Very nice. Uh, uh, and then, you know, going back deep in your history, you know, I see that, uh, you know, your, your uh, uh, genesis before you were in, you know, e-commerce was uh, you were in an active touring band. That was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, and I found that to be pretty interesting. And one of the things that, you know, I thought was interesting about it, you know, when I was, you know, I found the wiki page, you know, that kind of took you through the history of the band. And, uh, you know, what I gathered is I, you know, as I read through that is that you started working on your brand building chops with that band. Uh, I mean, I definitely learned a lot. All right. So when you're in a band, you have no money. And that's not only yourself, but the band as a whole has no money. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where I got my my DIY ethos from was like, well, someone's got to do it. Uh, so I learned a lot from that. And uh, so I did a lot of really fun stuff with the band. I, I kind of actually cut my teeth with web design back in the days of MySpace, like anyone else that's my age. Uh, so that was fun. But where I really started to shine was, um, you know, I met my business partner 
oddly enough, by doing the album art of my band. So I was doing the photography and consulting on like what our vision was. And then he was doing the layout designs and, and the graphics and stuff. And we tag teamed both of our first two albums together. Uh, and that's how I, sh I met Sean, who is still my business partner to these day to this day with, with the agency. So that's a very fun kind of part of the history of the band there. And then, you know, like I said, the band didn't really pay the bills. So the whole time I was touring, I was freelancing as well um, and trying a whole bunch of fun stuff. I, you know, I was doing paid ads. I was doing layout designs for magazines uh, and, you know, learning strategy. So when we finally decided to, you know, hang up our hats, you know, touring wasn't a thing we wanted to do anymore as that group. Um, I kind of had a great little, you know, existing Rolodex of clients that I was working with. I'd been freelancing at that point forever. So I kind of knew the ins and outs, knew what to do, what not to do. And Sean had just left his e-commerce brand roughly around the time that I, where our brand, our, our band broke up uh, and he was making every mistake under the sun as a freelancer. So I was just giving him some advice on like, Hey, don't do these things. And then he came to me, he actually introduced me to the Shopify ecosystem uh, with some projects that we tag team together. Um, and the next thing you know, we had an agency, so it was a pretty fun ride. Cool. Cool. And, and, uh, and a really great place to be now when you think of, you know, uh, the huge success, right. Shopify has had, you know, which I, as I recall you know, a week or two ago, I, you know, I saw an article where their, their traffic was actually exceeding, uh, Amazon's traffic now. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. So we didn't know that going into it, we didn't like know we were hitching our wagon to this horse that was climbing this mountain. Uh, we were just like, Hey, e-commerce is fun. It's closer to the money. And we just like how simple Shopify is for idiots like us. So like, that's, that's what like made us want to use Shopify as a platform. And then like the actual community element of like the partner ecosystem. And when we started to go to events, it was just insane compared to, you know, I, my background was in WordPress and, and, and so the Shopify ecosystem was just something, something great. And, you know, I think at the first conference that we went to as an agency, me agency was a partnership, but back then it was me and Sean. Um, the first thing we went to, we made friends at the, like the Shopify event that we're still friends with to this day, mentors that still give us advice. So, you know, it was making the choice to specialize in Shopify. was like one of the best decisions we ever made. Can, can yeah, I ask you know, a question? I'm... Sorry, Scott. Uh, ahead, how many, how many platforms did you use to, uh, to play with before uh, Shopify? Yeah. So, um, before, like, so we launched electric Eye. uh, I would say five years ago this month, mm -hmm. I think, cause we, I think we established it in October. Um, so when we launched, we were kind of scared of just planning our flag in e-commerce right off the rip. So all of our copy was a little more generic and we were just like, we're young, we're smart. We know what we're doing. Um, you know, uh, probably two or three months later, we're like, all of our projects are e-commerce. These are way more fun, fun to quantify. And it's all like where our skill is. Um, and then we had a client on Magento. Uh, we did a few migration projects, taking people from weird platforms to Shopify. Um, and then we just like, probably within the first six months of the agency, we were just like, we're Shopify only. Mm -hmm. And we actually migrated that Magento client over to Shopify at, at one point. Um, but it just was what I learned from that whole thing, and this is advice to anybody out there that's either a freelancer or looking to kind of, you know, maybe go into more of a serious consultancy agency type business model, um, specializing in one technology is infinitely more profitable than like trying to, to do all of the technologies because every 
code base is different. The integrations are different. The, so basically you're, you're multiplying every standard operating procedure that you have to write by the amount of platforms that you want to service. Mm -hmm. Like you may think I'm leaving money on the table, but no, it just think of it this way. If your roof is leaking, you're going to call a roofer. You're not going to call a general contractor. Mm -hmm. So if your Magento store is broken, you're going to call a Magento specialist. That's awesome. I, um, yeah, I was in Poland last week and uh, it, it's an agency called Devante. Devante, um, not sure if I pronounced it correctly, um, but they are, they are working with some very large projects and they just bought a Shopify agency, um, you know, because exactly they're extremely specialized in Shopify and they're, they're getting like the, the, the long tail, so to speak, right? So uh, I think it's a, actually a very clever move to be niche focused. Um, yeah, I mean, I will argue like, yeah, you get less leads, but you get more qualified leads. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'd rather have 10 people reach out where five of them are amazing prospects than 50 people reach out and five of them are amazing prospects. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. You know, that, that all speaks to... Uh, the company I work for today uh, started out in like say 2003 building websites for retailers and brands and uh, uh, it was technology like Magento and then uh, Shopify that made that not really a profitable business anymore because you know it was just so easy to go you know to one of these uh, uh, new platforms right uh, to do that and, and I think Y Powerfront ended up uh, you know it was smart uh, uh, that we ended up pivoting into messaging and chat and some other uh, some other areas so you know as I listened to your history I kind of saw that whole <laughs> power front evolution uh, uh, happening right along with uh, uh, what you were doing uh, at the yeah, time. Yeah it's like uh, a pretty natural evolution for an agency to pivot into products um, we actually made a decision very recently, me and my partner, in that we're double we're doubling down on the agency. We're not done with what we can do here, uh, and we're trying to put blinders on to all of the opportunities that are out there. Uh, you know what I mean? Like as an like Shopify ecosystem, still very young. E-commerce in general, still very young. And there's a lot of things you can do in this ecosystem that are more product based, where you could argue is more profitable, easier to sell, whatever. Uh, but uh, at this time with our team and our size and just our brain power, it's just like, you know what, let's just be really, really good at what we do and just double down on that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that, you know, so that brings us really, uh, you know, to elect the electric eye agency, right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, uh, you know, really acting as a, you know, uh, ex, you know, giving your expertise and consulting, uh, you know, the, uh, uh companies that are in, on the Shopify platform. So when you think back, uh, you know, besides just the, you know, the, the, the natural evolution of technology, what, what has changed in commerce since uh, uh, you founded Electric Eye? Oh, man, there's been a few things that have changed. I think what a few things that were really, really cool that happened, like more at the start of the agency was the kind of just how automation in like marketing automation took off especially how that plays into the customer journey in e-com. So we're like, we're, you know, gold tier or whatever partners with Klaviyo, which is like one of a, a big email marketing platform. Um, and, you know, just watching the rise of how automations play into everything was, was super cool. These days, it's kind of repeating itself with SMS. Um, so all that stuff is fun because like the number one 
thing when when people reach out uh, and they're like building a brand on the internet, you know, they are always like, I want a beautiful website. And it's like, that's great and all, but how are you going to get people to the website to see the website and then to buy stuff on your website? Like I, that's probably more important than, you know, having a beautiful website. It's getting traffic to your website. Uh, so a lot of this is educating customers and, and well, not educating clients on like, Hey, like you could build just the most beautiful, well-designed website in the world, but if nobody's going to it, you're not going to make any money. Um, so going back to your question though, what's changed over the last five years? Um, I think that with Shopify, Shopify has like opened up all these APIs and customizations to where you can build a beautiful website. But again, it's still like, how are you going to send visitors to it? How are you going to do that? So that's been a lot of fun. I think the SaaS business model has allowed for uh, entrepreneurs to like build scrappy brands and focus on messaging and customer experience or like the customer relationship as opposed to like the technology component, which I think was a barrier to entry. And you can see that in Shopify's marketing over the past couple of years where they're like, we want to arm the rebels and like take on Amazon and like everyone builds their own independent store and like you own all, own your customer relationship. So that's been a really cool thing to kind of watch. And then, uh, you know, last year with the pandemic, um, there was like this graph, you can find it on the internet and I'm going to like slaughter how to describe this. And I hope someone can figure it out on Google, but there's like a graph that was talking about the market penetration of the US like dollars being spent online versus retail. And I want to say like it was 25% online, right? And then the graph had a pretty steady kind of like uptick to it. It was pretty predictable, two, 3% growth every year or something like that. Um, and then the pandemic hit and everybody went online and you saw just insane spending in Q4 last year in e-commerce, like record years for every one of our clients. Um, and it was just lightning in a bottle because everyone had to shop online. But that market penetration of where dollars were spent shot up to like 35% penetration in like a couple months. And it just hasn't gone back down. So, so many more shoppers are online right now. So that's really interesting and cool. And, and how did that kind of reflect it in the agency as well? Like you felt the growth and the need to go online. Can you, can you comment a little bit on, on how the agency was, I believe, positively impacted by, uh, by that? Well, it, it was, it was both. I mean, I feel like almost every business there, there was a, the, the month when it, depending on where you're kind of located in what country, you know, most countries went into some sort of lockdown state and like when that happened, there was just so much uncertainty with any business that you had. Right. So that was a very interesting and stressful time to live in. Um, but we were lucky enough to have some clients um, that were like, all right, it's going online. We're doubling down on what we're doing here. Um, and then once, you know, stuff started to kind of just be like, all right, like, let's just, you know, keep living life. Let's go on with things. This is the, I hate the term, the new normal, but it was like that yeah, for a while. Um, once that happened, like we had a, there was a giant inflection of new businesses looking to go online with like entrepreneurs and stuff. Um, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, I think that there's room, there's more than enough market share for anybody out there. Go, go out there and, and try to plant your flag and try to make some money. Um, unfortunately, our business is a little more upmarket than that. And we don't necessarily work with startups in that sense. Like we can work with like funded startups or, you know, you gotta have, you have to have data for us to manipulate. Like if you don't have any sales, we can't help. But there was also a lot of legacy brands that were pivoting to go online uh, and, and, and adopting some of 
the kind of online playbook. Like, so for example, I saw a lot of uh, restaurants doing this where they were doing like order online, you know, pick up at the door, which any brick and mortar retail business has been doing for the last year or two. So there's like a lot of stuff like that where people were doing like, you know, click and, 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 and whatever and, and do all that stuff. And then like a lot of businesses that were traditional, like doing big plays at like Target and stuff like that were like, whoa, like we should have been investing in direct to consumer and like owning that customer relationship. So with that being said, we had a lot of inquiries about new clients and, and, and did definitely had some, some new business that we took on during that time. So one of the things uh, you just mentioned as you were, um, you know, uh, answering Carlos's question was, uh, uh, you know, how you had, you, you had worked, you know, there was a lot of new pure pay, play digital brands uh, that you were working with, right, and, and were enabled uh, mm -hmm. by platforms like Shopify. You know, my, my roots, you know, were actually in physical uh, retail. Uh, uh, I, I was just lucky enough to work for a physical retailer that also had a huge e-commerce business. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, as well, but uh, you know, uh, you know, one of the, the the constant themes we've heard over the last few years is that you know physical retail is dying, and that uh, uh, you know everything's going to be digital, uh, you know, in the future, and blah blah blah, and, and that really hasn't played out. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, there's still quite a lot of, of, of healthy physical uh, retail out there. Uh, uh, what are, what are you saying? Yeah, is it is it uh, is this a uh, what, what should I say? Is this a symbiotic relationship, physical and digital, or is one, you know, going to uh, make the other extinct? Um, I just think that's marketing, you know, that's headline BS, man. Wait, wait. I look like I don't, retail's <laughs> never going to go away. The world yeah. exists in varying levels of the color gray. It's not black or white. And I feel like, you know, some news outlets like to make it black and white. Um, with that being said, no, I think that what it's forcing brands to do is evolve and really uh, integrate their online and physical stores with like sharing the same customers information between both the platforms. It's still the same business, but there are so many businesses where like the in-store experience didn't match the online experience. Here's a perfect example is like loyalty points. Like, you know, they weren't so, like younger brands, they weren't integrating those loyalty points. Obviously, legacy brands like Kohl's, you know, they figured that out a long time ago. But like for the mom and pop that had like four retail locations for their secondhand boutique store, you know, that was that's an insane investment. But then here comes along a platform like Shopify, which I love Shopify. I'm an expert. It's all we work in. But there are other solutions out there that do similar things to what I'm saying here. But I prefer Shopify. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to caveat that, like, you know, my way is not the only way there's a million ways to do it, but here comes a SaaS like Shopify and they launch a POS as well. And now you can like integrate your loyalty points, like from your in-store experience to your online experience. And now that customer's journey and all their data is all in one place, which only allows you to better serve that customer. Yeah. I think, I think the expectation certainly is that, uh, I should be able to see inventory across you know, uh, uh, the touch points, uh, I should be able to carry, yeah, carry my loyalty points. Uh, you know, and on the back office side, you know, it, it, it was always tough to integrate things like commissions and other things when you were trying to integrate uh, in-store associates with online shoppers, as an example, right? You know, those are all, yeah. all things I think technology, like what you're working with, have, have helped make it easier. 
Yeah. I mean, your question earlier, like what in the last five years have you seen that's been crazy or whatever and just changed the game? It's like, dude, the implementation of a just like cloud-based APIs and like the, you can make everything talk to everything and it happened in the cloud. Whereas traditionally, um, a lot of physical location retailers or other businesses that like had a lot of data, like an example would be like a tire dealership or, or like a tire shop. Um, they would have like a physical server on location that managed all that stuff. And then like having that thing talk to their website was like, you know, a six figure at a minimum custom build out. Uh, whereas now they don't have those servers on site anymore. They all exist in the cloud. Everything is, you know, cloud-based, which just makes the possibilities for API integrations like almost endless. If you can dream it, you can build it. So, you know, as you had mentioned, right, it, it, it's, it's pretty well documented the phenomenal growth uh, uh, in e-commerce, especially, you know, uh, uh, what, uh, you know, having us all locked down, you know, for a year or two uh, uh, has helped happen. Um, you know, but when you look at conversion rates, you know, for digital shoppers, you know, on a website compared to, you know, what it looks like, you know, when somebody walks into a store and, and uh, shops and purchases, uh, you know, they're, the, the online version is still fractional mm -hmm. um, of, of that. What, what's missing? Why is that? Well, that's a fantastic question. So when you're in store, you can actually talk to your customer, have a conversation, ask them questions and answer their questions, right? And your salesperson is usually pretty knowledgeable and answers all the questions the customer might have. And the customer can browse in the way that makes the most sense to them, right? That's the traditional retail shopping experience. So now you go to a, an online experience. So number one, I think what the biggest issue that a lot of brands have with their online experience is they're not thinking like their customer and they're like too close to the sauce. Like they, they've used their website and the way that their website's built for a year and a half now. And they understand exactly where everything is. And like, that's cool that you as the owner or, you know, the CMO knows where your product is, but do your customers understand your product hierarchy, your navigation, can your product, can your customer get to the product that they want? So oftentimes, no, I see a lot of brands, um, they don't make the investment in their online experience that they should, like you should invest in your online experience, almost in, as in, this, in the same realm of budget that you invest in opening a physical retail store. Um, you know, your online store is always open. It's going, well, it should be your number one salesperson. It should be responsible for the majority of your revenue. Uh, so you should invest in it appropriately. And when people cut corners and do it themselves or hire someone that isn't, you know, an e-commerce expert, they make a lot of bad choices in the way that they design the websites, the way stuff is laid out, the way they handle products, the, they handle variants, uh, just the communication of getting information from that website into the brain of the customers in a goofy way. Um, so, you know, not having a website designed by an e-commerce professional is like a big thing that I see oftentimes wrong throughout the internet. Um, you know, the, the navigation, the product hierarchy is always goofy when brands and it's, it's, it's almost, it's a thing. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And then like, once it's pointed out, you go, Holy crap. Like, how did I ever think about it that way? Um, so I think a big majority of brands that are like starting to get it going, they are, you know, you would argue they have product market fit. They're doing half a million, a million dollars a year or whatever. Like, what the most of them have in common is they had a really good 
idea for solving a problem that resonates with their customers, right? That's where they're loyal. Like they're, they made a great product. They're good at customer, right? But they're not e-commerce experts. They don't understand the customer journey. They don't understand like e-commerce best practices and like, you know, making a, an experience that is almost just like so dumb. I can't screw it up and I know how to buy on this thing. Um, so that's oftentimes where like an expert, like our agency will come in and be like, look, you guys want to get to the next level. Like, here's the roadmap. This is what we should do. Um, we run through a thing called the brand scaling framework at our agency. And one of the core KPIs of that, there's three KPIs we care about. And one of them is conversion rate. Right. And we walk them through the math of all this stuff. Right. So e-commerce math 101 is there's one equation that rules them all. It's your conversion rate times your average order value times your sessions. If you do that, say 30 day window, you're going to get basically your sales for that 30 days. That's, that's how math works. It's law of averages, right? But now you established a baseline and then you can now go into each KPI and drill down and start making, you know, strategic decisions based upon what your goals are there. So an example that I see all the time is they have an e-commerce experience that's subpar possibly some of the things I just talked about a few minutes ago, but also like their mobile experience is garbage. Website's really slow. It's older technology. hasn't been updated in like three or four years, right? Uh, maybe they have installed and uninstalled a bunch of apps on their Shopify store. So the code base is just spaghetti, again, slowing it down. Uh, but you can like go into the data and see how that's affecting things. You can, you know, a big red flag that I see all the time is you look at the difference between conversion rate on mobile and desktop. And if it's more than 1% of a difference, it just proves that your mobile experience is trash. So it's like, hey, look, go invest in that. You know, so what 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 would that be? That's okay. Go get a new website designed that's mobile first. That's extremely performant. That's navigation makes sense, and it's you know all that stuff. And then you can see an uptick there, and you're like, okay, well, plug that into the equation I just gave you. See how much money it's going to spit out on the other side. Um, and then another one that's often overlooked is kind of the average order value play. Um, you know, people are often okay with just like whatever the customer wants to buy, the customer wants to buy. And they don't take, they don't take kind of uh, the, they don't add these motivators to their website. So like when you're talking about average order value, it's probably one of the main multipliers in that equation. And basically how to make it better is upsells, cross sells and bundles. You build that into the experience of your website and you make it seem like it should be there as opposed to jarring, taking me out of the experience. Because here's a secret. People want to buy things. They like spending money, but they don't like to be sold. So if your tactics in which that you are presenting them offers to try to increase the average order value are jarring and takes me out of the experience, I feel like I'm getting sold. You lost me. You lost that sale. But if it makes sense, the offer is relevant to what I'm trying to buy or it's going to add value to my life as a customer. Like I might, I'm probably going to take you up on that offer. Um, so that's the playbook there. Once you get those two things into a fantastic spot, then you can kind of like start to dump your time and energy into the sessions part of the equation. So, you know, there's two sides of that paid media and retention marketing, right? So email SMS is retention paid media would be like your Facebooks and your Googles. That's when I would say it's a good idea to start really driving up the spins on those sides of the business. Um, because without fixing those other two, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, especially the big enterprise, you know, kind of sites, you know, are, are relying really heavy on kind of AI driven personalization and, uh, you know, these kinds of uh, uh, technologies to uh, 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 
figure out what they think, you know, figure out what I like and then only show me things that they think I like, uh, you know, and I think that sometimes that goes too far. Uh, and that uh, perhaps, but I mean, AI and machine learning are interchangeable and like all the machines doing is looking at the data that you already have at your store. Right. So you can, you don't even need an app for this. Just go look at your order history and be like, all right, everybody that bought this, you know, tube of toothpaste also bought this toothbrush, like 70% of people do it. Like, okay, just offer that as a bundle, offer that as a cross sell within the cart. Like when you recognize right. X's in the cart, try to sell Y. Like all of this data exists in your, in your kind of order histories. And you can, you can find a lot of these answers yourself. And obviously as a founder, you probably know a lot of this stuff intuitively. You just haven't thought about it in a way to kind of like add it into the business. You know, I love that you said that, uh, you know, people want to buy things, you know, and I, and so how do you, you know, I, you know, I think to me, it's, uh, you know, the treasure hunt, right. You know, that's, that's what you're trying to enable. How, what's, what's, how do you enable that? Yeah. Like, so the, I think where you're going to like the browsability of a website is kind of what I like to consider. And I, like, again, like what I just said at the beginning of that giant spiel, I went on, it was like, sometimes people are too close to their site and too close to the experience and they think it's great and it's beautiful. And it's, I don't, you know, it can be beautiful. That's one thing, but is it browsable? And it, will I get to the product that I want? Um, oftentimes maybe not. Um, so here's some quick tips there. Uh, you need to have your filtering, your sorting, your searching on point. You know what I mean? I should be able to filter down by color of the shirt, by size of the shirt, uh, by material. If you have a bunch of different materials, um, you know, if I want to find that, you know, vintage black in a size large, like I should be able to click that on the, the, the kind of product view and get there instantly. I shouldn't have to jump through hoops to find the things that I'm interested in. So, you know, enabling that browsability, which if you want to look at people that do it really well, Amazon, Walmart, Target, they know what they're doing. Don't fight best practices because the, those websites are also teaching shoppers how to shop online. So the unfortunate truth is you kind of have to go with the flow. And the more that you kind of try to do something completely different, more often than not, you're going to be turning away customers because they're not going to understand how to use your website. So, and, and by the way, all of that, you know, for the last 10 minutes, Carlos was absolute gold <laughs> for some yeah, of the yeah, things no, you can I, work I, on. I, I, <laughs> I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's like what you're talking about learning from the, 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 the major websites, but they are also using, uh, well, great. They have a, a great UX, but also some personalization engines, right? That, you know, like um, makes all the difference, right? There's a lot of, let's say tech behind that and not, not yeah. necessarily even people, but tech that enables them. Like for example, Scott uh, works at, we are actually, we are working together. Powerfront also enables people to, you know, there's tech that um, enables you as a customer advisor to, to recommend a great product for your customer. Uh, there's a bunch of tech out there as well in AI that Scott also mentioned that, you know, is able to to sort of compile all of that data and then you know recommend products intelligently. What I wanted to ask you, um, Chase, you talked a lot about your your framework and and traffic and paid media, but I think you know you as a as an agency owner, you're doing podcasts and I I, I you invest a lot in education, and I think you uh, from what I. See, 
seen you doing, you believe a lot in, in, in retention and community building. And so I would like you maybe to talk uh, and to share your thoughts on, on that because you don't have a podcast, you know, just to just, you know, just for nothing, right? There, there's a reason uh, for that and, and how that benefits one, your agency, but also the role of community building these days uh, for, for a commerce brand, you know, how can- Yeah. So we launched Honesty Commerce almost three years ago um, because I hate writing and I'm, I'll talk. So that's, that's the inside scoop there. But no, uh, shout out to my project manager for making me do it. And Annette Grant, who was on the first couple dozen episodes, um, to help me really get it off the ground until I kind of got my footing. Um, you know, launching the podcast was probably the best business decision that we made. And it's a very good decision if you do it strategically for a B2B type business. Um, a, you'll meet a lot of amazing people. People, It is a network just booster. It is fantastic. But I will say the market is getting crowded and you need to make sure that you're delivering something that makes it worthwhile. Um, second, uh, you know, I, I do believe in just content marketing as a whole is a long-term play mm -hmm. and producing the podcast and the cadence that we produce it is definitely starting to really generate some awesome results. People all the time say I've listened to a few of your episodes or, or whatnot when we get into sales conversation, which is awesome because it positions us in that expertise role, like expert status. Like we know what we're talking about. Like I don't even have to prove to them that we're the right guy to be talking to anymore. Um, so, so that, that's really helpful from an, like launching a pro, like even podcast or a YouTube channel or what have you newsletter, blog, whatever, when you're putting out authoritative content, people will start to resonate with it and you will be that authority. So when they have a pain that is in your realm of authority, they're going to reach out to you. So that's the power of content marketing. Um, and then, you know, just on the education, I, I believe in karma. I believe in like increasing that surface lock area, you know, doing really nice things to, for the community. Like people will start to refer stuff back to us. And, and I've seen it from, it's just really interesting angles. You know, people that follow the podcast that are in completely different ecosystems, but they enjoy e-commerce and they just enjoy learning about marketing and strategy have referred us business because they heard, you know, at a bar that someone needed help with something. And they're like, I know this guy, like they'll reach out to Chase and his team over at Electric Eye, like his podcast is great. So that's just the power of content marketing. Right, and and for for example, in, when it comes to um, to your clients, uh, you know, like the, the retailers and, and uh, whatnot, B2B brands eventually, uh, what do you think of community building strategies? Do you have any any tips on that? Uh, you know, how can- Oh they yeah, do... I just ignored the, the other part of your question. So um, retention marketing, right? That's, you know, owned marketing is another thing that people were calling it these days. One of those terms are going to win out, but it's basically the relationship between you as a brand and your customer, you, that relationship exists and you can communicate with them because they've, they've opted into your marketing. Like that's in a nutshell. So, you know, that this is people that you can do like web push messaging with, which I think that technology might go away. I don't know. It's getting very, very weird these days, <laughs> but, um, uh, email marketing, I don't think ever is going, going to go away. And then like the new player on the block, SMS marketing, like these mm -hmm. relationships that you have there are just insanely powerful. And if your email newsletter, let's scratch that. If your email systems that you have built within your business aren't producing at least 30% of your overall revenue every month, you need to relook at that strategy because it should be. And we see that across the board with every winning brand email is really driving things home. 
SMS is like a heavy hitter following up with a close second. Like those are insane channels to really uh, kind of see that ROI come up because you have all this data on them as well. You know, these systems integrate so nicely with your e-commerce platform and you can tell where these people are at in their customer journey, what products they've been viewing, what they've already purchased, what they might want to purchase from all that data we were talking about earlier. Uh, so you can get really, really interesting with that kind of relationship building. And then to kind of keep them active and keep the community going and all that stuff is you should be producing relevant content to things they care about. So obviously for me, it's really easy. I produce content around e-commerce. I like, that's what all of our audience cares about. Um, but say you have uh, an outdoor clothing brand, you could produce content around camping and that would resonate well with anyone on your email list, right? So you got to be producing the content that people care about. So this is where we could have another entire podcast about is the power of content for brands. Um, I think the brands that are going to win, especially now with the audit stuff that's happened with iOS updates, you know, kind of just nuking the Facebook pixel and all every, every it's not just Facebook, everybody, by the way, every paid platform is experiencing this issue. Facebook is just like the face of it because the majority of the internet's ad spend is on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's affecting Google, Facebook, Twitter, everything that has like a pixel style play it, has it been affected by that. And then the next update that did was nuking, uh, you know, the simple way to put it was being able to see if someone's opened an email on iOS, which through kind of the retention marketing stuff for a loop. So, you know, this stuff happens all the time, you know, we're going to figure it out. And as marketers, we're going to grow from it. And they're like, there'll be new things that we're doing all together and it's going to be fine. But the brands that are going to win from this whole thing are going to be the ones that are he- investing heavily into producing content that resonates with their audience. Like that's going to keep people engaged and that's going to keep their sales up. And it gives their entire team like awesome content to then repurpose through their ads and through their uh, email newsletter and through their socials and all that jazz. Sweet. Very nice. Scott. Well, I, you know, I think what, you know, the things you were just talking about, especially the change in the lay of the land about what's allowed, uh, you know, in terms of uh, 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 tracking, uh, you know, uh, customers and so forth uh, is, is going to open up a whole new set of opportunities for consultants like yourself, right, to, to come in and, and you know, uh, deliver the next big thing. Um, because the need to understand your customers is not going away just because, you know, the current way we, you know, a lot of brands are using has been ripped out from under them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think. So uh, uh, let's, let's uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're at the near, near the end of the, the conversation or the time we had allotted today. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the founding uh, uh, of, your, uh, of your agency uh, you know, and, and, you know, the, I have two questions. The first is, you know, what helped you, you know, make that transition, you know, as sort of, you know, a freelancer, you know, where you had been building up, you know, all these, these skills, uh, to an actual successful business owner. What was, yeah. That? Um, I think that journey is, is difficult and some people aren't cut out for it. Not saying that I'm special or anything like that. I had to make a lot of work on myself to do it. Number one thing there is learning how to delegate uh, like correctly and understanding what you should be working on and what you should be delegating. I think a lot of people have um, their issues in delegation are, are coming from a place of where they want to be super helpful for their client and they don't realize they're actually not being helpful by not delegating. Um, so, you know, perfection is your enemy <laughs> at times because getting things done is better than it being perfect. Oftentimes in, in, in this world, um, another thing is, you know, not, you know, the scalability of 
any business, if one person is a linchpin, it's like that's a recipe for disaster and potentially bankruptcy. So you got to learn how to how to delegate there. Um, and delegating is infinitely easier these days with tools like Loom and you know creating smart checklists and all that stuff. Like it's pretty easy to delegate things off your plate. And you know, unless it is your true area of expertise, you know, it, should you be doing it? You know, I believe that the context shifting and, you know, multitasking are detrimental. Like you, deep work is what I believe in. And it's like, you should be work, focusing on the thing you need to focus on and not get distracted by all these other smaller tasks that you shouldn't do. So that was learning how to delegate was something that really kind of helped us uh, kind of get a little bit going there. And then um, I, I think the agency really changed and where we really started to become a business is when we kind of adapted EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, um, which is based on a book. It's a part of a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And this concept of having a system to run your actual business an operating system for your business uh, was something I didn't even know that existed until the concept was introduced to me by this book. Um, and it just allows you to uh, have a binary fundamental kind of process in which you determine whether or not problems are actually problems and what is a priority and how to get things done for your business as a, and for your clients. Um, so we adopted that to make it work for us. And ever since we implemented that probably about three years ago, it's been just an insane growth. Amazing. So now I've got a new book I need to go, uh, go get and read. So thanks for that. Uh, uh, I, got and, a, I got a million of them. <laughs> and then here's the, here's the final question. Uh, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Ooh, if I could do it all over again, what would I do differently? I would probably uh, niche down even further. Um, like I think where we are now, we have two sides of the business that we've grown in tandem. So we've got the design development side of the business. And we've got the marketing advertising side of the business. I think the smart thing to do, which by the way, I don't think I made a mistake. This would just be something I would do differently. Um, it would have been easier to focus on one side of this business and really crush the SOPs and efficiencies and the marketing for it. And we would have like, it would have been bigger at this point probably. Uh, but we just chose a more difficult path by having the two sides to the business, basically twice the amount of work. Uh, but we did it and now we're here. <laughs> yeah. Great. So, um, I have to say that, uh, this was a really uh, interesting conversation for me, you know, not just, uh, you know, pretty Likewise. words. Uh, I, th I thought there were some really good points there. I've got the several things I'm going to go talk to, you know, some of the folks I work with every day about, you know, specifically from this. So I really want to thank, uh, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, let's, uh, let's hope we get the opportunity to do this again. I would love that. I'm sure that I, I'm a wealth of knowledge and I interview people way smarter than me every week on my podcast. Uh, by the way, that's honestycommerce.co. Please subscribe. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm doing a lot more founder stories these days because uh, you know, we started the podcast to basically tell the honest truth about e-commerce. You're not going to build a dropshipping site and become a millionaire overnight and drive your Ferrari to the beach. Like That's not a real thing. Um, you know, and I, and I've really doubled down on this founder story thing. And I really, really like doing that. Um, every once in a while I'll have an expert on there, but you know, I really like talking to brands and having them just be like, yeah, we didn't know what we're doing. All these things didn't work. This is what actually worked and it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Look, the pod, the podcast is highly recommended. Uh, you know, I spent some time with it in preparation for this, uh, uh interview and, and I'm going to, you know, continue on with it because there were a lot of, you know, faces there that I didn't know. 
you know, but but had a lot of really great things to share. So again, uh, thanks, uh, and uh, I'll leave it to you, Carlos, to take us out. Yeah, well, I just wanted to thank you, Chase. It's been amazing, super insightful. Want to thank you again, and that's it. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Right.